the past is steeped in shame, and this is the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Rory McNamara. Thank you very much for joining me today for one of many editions of our show for December. Volume 2, Part 1. See, I didn't screw it up this time. Volume 2, Part 1, where we're looking at a very specific WWF event, which we will tell you about shortly. Our other shows, Volume 1, WCW and, oh yes, Starcade 98. Volume 3 is our ECW show with my two guests talking about their hardcore TV. And Volume 4, our long-awaited yearly awards show. But this is Volume 2, Part 1. Now, if you want your regular WWF news, TV reports, standard pay-per-view review and analysis, may I point you in the direction of Volume 2, Part 2, which should roll on for you straight after this one. For we are looking at a very specific event with me today to do so, I have Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. How the devil are we? And stepping in, Billy Johnson. Uh, evening, gentlemen. Evening, my friends. Yes. So, Capital Carnage is the pay-per-view event we are looking at today. That is our sole and only focus event, which took place on December the 6th here in merry old England, London town. Now, you might remember last year, we also did a special show on One Night Only. The big difference between these two events, that was very much a canonical pay-per-view that was billed heavily on WWF TV, angles were shot for it, etc., etc., this one, despite an offhand mention by Jim Ross during the Judgment Day pay-per-view, might as well not have happened in the States at all. So for many of our listeners, this might very well be your only and first exposure to this one. I think it might be getting a VHS release at some point. Or maybe you had friends of friends who could get you the Skybox office feed 3,000 miles across the water. But if not, we will talk you through that event right now. Billy has the results. Billy, what went down? Okay, so Grand Gill defeated El and uh, Headbangers beat Legion of Doom. Val Venus uh, defeated uh, Goldust. Tiger Ali Singh beat Edge. Christian and Sable beat Jacqueline and Mark Marrow in a mixed tag. Ken Shamrock defeated Steve Blackman. Triple H defeated Jeff Jarrett. Uh, New Age Outlaws defeated D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. The Rock defeated X-Pac. And finally, Stone Cold Steve Austin beat Kane, Mankind, and The Undertaker. Mr. Lacey, what did you think of this show? This would have been amazing if I was there. Watching it in Norwich on my couch, I have just been skinned to 15 quid to watch a house show. I can't really argue with that, although... A couch in Norwich is not an experience I've had up to this point. <laughs> I, bet I, I haven't lived, have I, Chris? You've just never lived. <laughs> we're going to have to change that at some point. Billy, what were your th- opening thoughts? Uh, just uh, basically, a more than anything, it was like Chris said, it was a more of a house show style event, and uh, it didn't really mean anything uh, going forward in the WWF storylines. Well, I'm so glad you talked this one up, everybody. Didn't really mean anything, just the house show. Let's let's keep those listeners ensnared, shall we? But no, you're both absolutely correct. One night only for all its flaws felt important at the time. This didn't. This came across to me as just a pre-Christmas boon for the UK fans. Not to say we didn't deserve it over here because we've been very supportive of the Fed on this show as well. And nothing was settled, nothing was started, nothing was advanced but again, I think you're right, Chris. It's the sort of thing where if you can bear all that in mind and just turn up at the show and enjoy it and make noise when you want to make noise, then see all your favourites, then you can probably accept it. But I think that's an issue as well, which we'll come to. The crowd sort of, maybe it was just the my, my 
my diffusion speakers on my TV. But um, the crowd didn't really seem into much but entrances and finishes. They were very quiet during matches, and that didn't help either. I, they couldn't lift, which was understandably, perhaps given the state of work right in the Fed in December 98, rather pedestrian in-ring action. And they didn't really add a whole lot to it. But we will tell you why and how, so stick with us for the next hour, everybody. So then, after a decent video package, which pretends the last weeks of action on Raw have been specifically building to this pay-per-view, spoiler, they weren't, JR and King welcome us to the London Arena. Much like last year, Lawler does his best to fit in here in the UK, calling Sable, and I quote, one sexy bird. <laughs> Stay classy. <laughs> it gets worse. And we open with Gangrel and his bloody brilliant music facing Al Snow. A we want head chant starts us off as Al rolls into a very nice single leg takedown and into the armbar. Gangrel with one of his own. Then they come close to botching a leapfrog. Al didn't get up high enough. That was your Greg Valentine Blue Blazer Survivor Series 88 spot. They recover with Al breaking out a wheelbarrow slam for a count of two. Charging the corner by Al and then a nice crossbody. Remember that tonight. Also for a near fall. Gangrel then turns for tide with a spike DDT and that's a two as well. A few clotheslines have been a neck snap as the pace slows dramatically with the vampire in control. He struggles with a Russian leg sweep rollover for a two count. Slingshot into the bottom rope and now Al strikes back with a clothesline of his own. Double standing switch ends in a lovely Northern Light suplex for two and now here come the brood. Snow misses a moonsault. In theory, he actually pretty much landed on Gangrel's shoulder. Then Gangrel with a butterfly suplex. Super sloppy tornado DDT is followed by Al nailing Gangrel with head, but the rep is tied up with Christian. And an edge missile dropkick puts Snow down for the three. Billy. <laughs> I'm going to keep my match review nice, short and sweet for this one. Uh, it was a passable opener. It was a bit clunky in places. It got very sloppy every now and again. Uh, but it was short, so it never really outstayed its welcome. Short and sweet indeed, Chris. It was okay as an opener. You know, it it did its job. Again, as I said, if I was there, first thing you really see is the brood entrance. I'll be like, yes! Ah, let's get everything going. But for as I said, sitting at home, it, it was okay. It was just like another start of raw what do you reckon chris because you've obviously seen a lot of ecw this year we've seen al finally make his move into the fed is he being a bit wasted now or is he just opening match fodder i'm never i'm never sure i don't know the pro the thing with al is if he'd have stayed in ecw he would be main event he's come over to the fed as Al Snow, we've had the whole ECW gimmick, where that's not going to be anywhere near main event and Stone Cold and The Rock. It is opening card, mid-card fodder for the Fed. The thing is, at the moment, which I'm seeing in the Fed, which you don't see as much in, especially WCW and ECW, is everyone in the Fed seems to have storylines and a reason to be who they are and do what they're doing. That's the one benefit that Al Snow will have being in the WWF is that the fact of that character that he has, he will always have something to do and someone to feud against. And he is an easy person for a heel to go against because you just attack the head. You just do something with with the head and, you know, 
be it, you know, you kick head out of the thing, you put a sh- head and shoulders bottle on him and pin him. It's an easy thing for a heel to have a mid-card feud with him. And as long as you give him 15, 20 minutes, you know you can get a good match out of him as well if you get into the pay-per-view level. But the problem is he's not getting 15, 20-minute matches, is he? That's kind of my point. He's getting throwaway six matches, six-minute matches, opening events or stuck in the middle of Raw. Yeah. But, um, and they're hoping, they're hoping that his character can carry him. But like I said on the Judgment Day show a couple of months ago, his character is very watered down in the Fed, as it is going to be. But I do think it's to his overall detriment if he can't be a work-rate guy first and foremost. That is true, yeah. It's, it is that level of... If you look at this card, this was clearly one of the... proves a point with a Fed card of just get everyone on and give them yeah. five, ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You get rid of two or three matches. There's a couple of matches that come up later on, uh, like the Edge and Tiger Ali Singh match. <laughs> there was no point for that. You could have given that time to this and, you know, given them a, an extra five minutes. But obviously, you know, it's, it is that thing of just get everyone on the card, I think. I agree. Your thoughts on Al Snow, Billy, and if you can not mention Tiger Ali Singh any time until we absolutely need to, that would be great. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to mention Tiger Ali Singh until a little bit later on. Um, no, Al's, Al is in a sort of a difficult spot. It's like uh, he's getting over with his uh, comedy character, but it's like the Fed don't really want to take that next step with him because they don't see him as anything more than an opening act or, you know, third on the card sort of guy. And it is a bit of a shame, but um, unfortunately he's sort of stuck himself in this position with the character that he's found. Yeah, exactly. The the head character is always going to be a bit of a crutch for him to mix with metaphors. It's never going to be truly developed in the Fed. It's going to be there for an easy pop. And a big pop, he was probably one of the most over people in the entire in the entire night. Again, being in the opening match probably helped there because I say the crowd flattered out quite a lot later on. But yeah, this match was fine. Gangrel in this situation was probably overshooting himself a little bit. He was trying to do things which he's just not capable of doing. Russian leg sweep into a rollover. No. Handling a handling a um, tornado DDT. No, don't do that, Gangrel. Just, just spit your blood and throw punches, pal, and you'll be fine. <laughs> so I'm putting the heel op- ho- op- putting the heel over in the opener was a rather odd move for a house show as well. <laughs> Calling it a house show by force of habit, but uh, there you are. It was fine. I'd like Al to have something else to do. I'm not sure it's going to happen, but a win for the Brood, and I think that wants to watch going forward. Still a little bit schlocky, hokey, B movie ish, but at least two of them can actually go in the ring. So there's definitely hope for them, and we will see those two a bit later on. One of them is against you-know-who. But anyway, here's Mankind in the coolest boiler room he has ever been in. Three things not to expect in our main events. Countouts, disqualifications, and friendships. He knows he will be as welcome as Anne Boleyn was at Henry VIII's dinner table, but tonight he will conquer all. Now there's a reference you don't get on wrestling shows every week. Animal and Droz represent the LOD versus the Headbangers in our second match. Droz and Mosh start out, and once more, Droz is perfectly crumbling in there with hip tosses and arm drags. The crowd, though, aren't impressed and chant for Hawk, but he's obviously busy with the Hells Angels again. <laughs> Thrasher in, and he takes a nice power slam from Puke. They don't call him Puke anymore, do they? Nope. 
<laughs> Let's defend. Stay classy. Blind tag and Mosh is in with a second rope clothesline. Quick tags from the bangers, but Droz is in with another clothesline, and we've already got to the hot tag portion. Well, in name only. Hawking with the usual and takes both guys down. Power slam of his own, but the cover gets broken up. Then Droz pushes Animal out of the ring to take his place, but in doing so, he allows himself to be rolled up for the three. Hmm. The two then argue and then come to blows until refs separate them. Chris, this was a thing that happened at this event. <laughs> yeah, at least it was quick. But yeah, fuck me, it was pointless. And I, I, I haven't seen the rest of the TV. I've sort of obviously been with ECW this month. Um, so I don't know whether this LOD split carries on and, you know, that's that's where we are. But I'm done with this LOD rehashing. It's not working. Can we make it stop? And I remember liking the headbangers like a year or so ago and going, oh, they're cool. You know, they're, they're into metal and stuff. But they just don't seem to be able to have good matches with anyone. I don't know, you know, initially you're thinking, oh, it's just them and the New Age Outlaws, they don't combine well together. But everything I've seen of them this year has been shit. So common denominator means they must be shit because everything they're in <coughs> has been. There could well be something in that. Billy? Well, uh, God, it's, I just didn't really care about this match at all. Um I have really no strong thoughts or opinions on this. It was a complete dud. It was a waste of time. It was pointless, and uh, it was short, and it was definitely not sweet. <laughs> Absolutely not. Just terrible. This I do not care about this LOD thing. I should say we did get a replay in the build-up to this match of the Hawk suicide angle, which, which the boys didn't even talk about on the November WWF show. It speaks for itself in every horrifying way. I suppose <clears throat> that... <clears throat> Excuse me. I suppose that Droz and Animal fighting each other was the one bit of storyline advancement we got on this show, but that's how slim the pickings were. And Chris, I think you're right with the headbangers. When they first came along, they were sloppy and messy, but that was part of their charm, I think. And I had a bit of a soft spot for them, but they haven't progressed at all. And now I think they're kind of quasi pseudo heels again. And there's a bit more onus on them to carry matches. And the two of them just don't have it, I'm afraid. If they're flinging themselves around and doing their... <laughs> what JR rather... Erone... Let's say JR erroneously calls slam dancing. It's not slam dancing at all, JR, never mind. Then they're harmless enough, but actually trying to push them as workers is never going to work. We see footage from Raw on Friday night because here in the UK, that's when we first get it, so you know who this show is aimed at, raw on a Friday night of Bearer being dumped in the sewer. I hate to bag on JR, but he gets it wrong again when he says that when Bearer is dumped in the sewer, he is sent right down the loo. Mm, you've jumped a couple of steps ahead of the process there, Jim Ross. <laughs> and I should say, actually, apparently during that match, I did not know this until afterwards, but Jim Ross, I'm very sad to say, uh, suffered another bout of Bell's palsy. If you remember, he was first uh, afflicted by that four years ago in February 1994. And Vince McMahon, the kind-hearted boss that he is, uh, fired him shortly afterwards. I don't believe that's going to happen here, but with Vince, you never know. Um, and if JR actually did pick up the effects of Bell's palsy this early in the show, uh, to his immense credit, 
I would not have known. He holds the show together. Yes, there's a few malapropisms like you've heard, but you would not know if you didn't know. And you've got to give him all the credit in the world for gutting it out over there, especially as the only other commentator I believe available would have been Michael Cole. And the bits of Michael Cole commentary I have heard, JR deserves even more praise for um, <laughs> maintaining his seat, I think. <clears throat> for somebody who was dumped in a sewer a few days ago, Paul Bearer looks pretty well, well, of a fashion, when he flanks The Undertaker for his interview with Cole. He suggests we pray for the soul of Stone Cold. He gets one chance to walk into the realm of darkness, and tonight he will pay for his sins. Uh, I could have written that Undertaker promo even before I ordered this thing. Uh, the uh, do you want to come in there, Chris? Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, come in. this is one of the big things with this show. Other than Foley, um, uh, most of the promos that are in the show are phoned in. Is They've not even sort of thought, let's do something even semi-local and sort of, you know, oh, we're in England. Let's, you know, use some localisms. It is just all very phoned in, basic. We can't even be asked to be here, sort of promos, and it doesn't help when that's the same level of match that we're getting. Oh, I agree. Just very few people cared on this show. I'm sad to say, but we must care. We're only two matches in. Here comes our third. We see all the Terry is pregnant. No Val had a vasectomy stuff. Yes, this is really happening. And now we see Val against Goldust once more. Val gets taken down to the outside early via a backdrop and then gets sent into the steps twice. We roll in front of a suddenly quiet crowd as they exchange shoulder blocks and hip sauces. Again, both these guys are perfectly sound when they need to be. Val with some kicks in the corner, but Goldie strikes back with a clothesline. The Tully special slingshot suplex by Dustin, but Val fights off a monkey flip and gets a two. Russian leg sweep by Val and the crowd aren't with him here. Bump and grind, then ground and pound. I think I read that in a book once. But Goldust is up with his own punches and a bulldog for two. Val now strikes back with a cool spinebuster also for two. Flying body press off the top. Yes, that again. But Goldust rolls through, and remember that, and secures a near four. Fisherman suplex by Val for a two. Atomic drop by Goldust, and the sting headbutt ends Val's next movie roll. Goldust calls for shattered dreams, but Val pulls the ref in front. From that, he executes a rolling cradle for our second roll-up win in a row. Afterwards, Dustin calls for Shattered Dreams, and this time we and he get it. Billy, the third go-around on pay-per-view for these guys. Not much juice Not much juice left in the tank, pun intended. Uh, no, none whatsoever, really. It just seemed like this was your typical house show match. Both guys were working as safe as they possibly could, obviously just to get on to the next town and uh, go and do their thing wherever they're off to next um i was probably as disinterested as the crowd just uh didn't really enjoy this one it was a bit of a dud in my opinion chris at least they still hate each other though right that is true you know um this because everything we've had so far i actually quite like this um this was where i was like oh we might we might get the show perking up a bit we might get something decent I was lulled into a false sense of security, but, you know, at least we had our first decent match of the night. But this fucking finish is awful and cheap, and I hate a roll-up finish. Yeah, uh, the agents were definitely 
Well, if, if the if the if the talent phoned it in, then I think the agents telexed it in. They were not at the races here at all, as we'll talk about a bit later on. Lots of repeated spots and match to match. I say, I've already seen enough of the flying body press roll through to last me a lifetime. Russian leg sweep. Everybody did that in every single match. And nobody was given any real instructions. But again, the talent have to take the blame for not really taking the reins themselves. But having said that, this was a solid match again. <laughs> I don't do that on purpose. I really don't. Um, yeah, a solid match here to make sure everybody got it. These two are good workers. They really are. And if you put two good workers together and give them a decent amount of time, then you know, it, it writes itself. And these two, you know, their ceiling is probably what two and three quarters if you're being generous. But I think by and large they pretty much got there. The crowd were very quiet again, and that's the tone which we set pretty much throughout the night. Now, as I said earlier, pop for the finish, but that's all you're pretty much getting. Crowd very very quiet. I think it might also be because this feud is pretty much done now. And this felt like, although this is a pay-per-view itself, this felt like the raw epilogue to the pay-per-view blow-off. Uh, as if that had been done two months ago, but now just to fill a spot, we're going to make sure this feud is absolutely 100% over, which it now is. Uh, unfortunately, where the storyline is going to continue is learning if Al really did have a vasectomy and, you know, who the father of Terry's baby is. I shudder to think how that one's going to end. Would not shock me if she does a, a full 360 and ends up back with gold dust again. Would not surprise me at all, considering who's booking this thing. But no, a good match with some good moves. You know, I thought Dustin breaking out the Tully special was quite amusing. <laughs> Old habits die hard, I guess. Yes. I don't know where these two are going to go feud-wise afterwards. Probably not together. But just keep them around. Val's character and gimmick has a limited shelf life and now i almost can't believe i'm looking at it this closely but now for this character's had a vasectomy maybe they're going to look to change it up a little bit not that i really want to know how <laughs> i will leave that in the minds of our creators but good match good workers and on this show i'm taking it and of course here's vince mcmahon at oxford university because, of course, he gets the reception he would expect for a prime minister, which, of course, is not sufficient. <laughs> Apparently, he called the experience enlightening. Hey, don't go overboard now, Vinny. But now here come he and the Stooges to entertain us all. Patterson tells us the lineup has been changed to please every one of us. Tonight, The Rock won't meet Hunter Hearst Hemsley tonight, as originally planned. The latter will be against Jeff Jarrett. And The Rock, he's defending the title against X-Pac. Briscoe is here now, and he will have a special surprise for, and I quote, that soccer rule breaker, Vinnie Jones. He hands, he hands over to Shane. Oh, boy. Shane didn't know what hard man meant in the British context until last night he saw a documentary about George Michael. I don't need to fill that one in. Although JR again, God bless him, he's actually said this about Vinnie Jones. He said, I know Vinnie Jones, and he's a man's man. <laughs> no, not in, no, not in that way. <laughs> Sometimes silence is the best policy. Shane continues by saying that George Michael's barrel was locked, stock, or smoking. Oh my god! Okay, after that, after that, Vince's xenophobia is very welcome. <laughs> he has a teacup in his hand, and he tells us that tea time is a pile of pious crap. I finished my cup just before I came on air. Here in the UK, we've convinced ourselves we're the greatest, most dignified and civilised nation on earth, but the world doesn't agree. We are barbaric, vile, swarthy sloths. 
he brings up the Falklands and then suggests we wish we were all American, which goes down as well as you can expect. From Great Britain, America will take what it wants when it wants it. If there's anything left of Britain, it will be gobbled up by the French and the Germans anyway. And Great Britain's future is just a cesspool of decay, decadence and debauchery. Well then, Chris, you said yourself you wanted a GB-specific promo, and boy, did you get one. <laughs> this is the highlight of the show. Yes. <laughs> Even if you do not watch the rest of the show, make sure you watch this promo. Um, fucking starting with Patterson and his butchering of Hunter Hearst Hem- Hemsley. Four times, four every times. time he said it, and I was just like, "Oh, it's just, it's just the first time." No, he keeps saying it. He keeps saying it, and then Briscoe being as southern as ever and soccer, uh, and and then Shane. Who knew that Shane could could be that clever? I'm I'm hoping that he has written that and that that was off the top of his head because. It given was his, good. Given his turn on Sunday Night Heat a couple of months ago, I'm going to wager that he did come up with it. Because that was really, really good. Yeah, baby. And, yeah. and then fucking Vince being the ultimate cunt. Just, just the easiest heat magnet that he is. He is probably, if not going to win Heel of the Year, has to be up there as as one of the best heels in wrestling today and he does it also so easily this this is the only thing that was worth my money on this show yeah but billy he still slagged off tea time though didn't he and you don't do that no, you, sorry, you just don't do that. I can understand if you're drinking Yorkshire tea, but if he's drinking PG tips, then, you know, come on, Vince, for fuck's sake, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but a great promo again, yeah? Oh, yeah, great promo. Couldn't You couldn't knock Vince for the way he delivered it or how all of them delivered their lines uh, throughout of that. And, uh, no, I, I did get uh, quite a riot. I did get quite a rise out of everything that was said and I was giggling along with it. A cesspool of decay, decadence and debauchery. Well, thank you very much, Vince. I, t- I take it he wasn't talking about Oxford University specifically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Leeds Uni man. Um, yeah, when they all came out, I thought we were going to get something similar to the King of the Ring promo where they were just there to fill time and Vince was not giving it his best, just a standard slag off the fan stuff. But boy, did he really go for it here or what? And I say, go out of your way to check this one out. He had the crowd utterly, utterly livid. And is that not what a heel is supposed to do? But hey, this one's for all the barbaric, vile, swarthy sloths out there. Present company, accepted, not accepted. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, (laughs) I thought you might. I thought you might. Oh my God almighty. And now us sloths have to endure Tiger Ali Singh. Make your own jokes. He brings up the tyranny of the British Empire, and on this he might at least be onto something. Edge, his poor opponent today, dodges an attack at the bell and then goes to work. Tiger takes control and botches missing a charge. How do you actually do that? But boy, he did, before Edge hooks in an armbar. Backdrop puts Tiger down and he fires off some drop kicks, but Singh puts on the brakes after a whip. Back in, Edge gives him the old heave-ho to the ring post. 
Edge goes for another missile dropkick, but Singh gets his foot on the rope. Edge with a body press, but Singh catches him into a power slam. Well, more of a body slam followed by just falling over. He gets the victory with feet on the ropes. He keeps attacking afterwards, but Edge then sees him off. Billy, I asked poor old Dan this question 15 months ago. He couldn't answer. But <laughs> so now it's your turn. Oh, thank you. Why is Tiger Ali Singh? Why is he? Well, he unfortunately exists and his dad is uh, someone that used to be over. And uh, he seems to have a position within this company. It hasn't worked throughout the entire last year, whatever they've tried to do with him. I think it's now time that they should just cut their losses and get rid of the guy. He is just pitifully, appallingly dreadful, Chris. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm. I would say, following this, he is got to be getting done. You know, I can't see Vince see, getting back from that. Going, yeah, you're fine. You can have a job. Either he goes somewhere as developmental and gets told how to work or he gets binned off either way he is not long for this world he's here because he's his father's son and it's as simple as that although i do i, I well i was going to say i do wonder what we've done over here to deserve seeing tiger ali sing on pay-per-view twice but after vince's promo just now it makes perfect sense this is our punishment i guess isn't it he is just it's- yeah, Has he ever had a match in the state yet? Because I'm pretty sure the only time I've seen him wrestle is on UK shows. Obviously, he has that in-ring segment where he's like, oh, look, you pity Americans will do anything for 500 bucks. You know, very million-dollar man. But I don't think he's had a match in the States. He had one match on Raw, I want to say September-ish, 97. Might have been slightly before that. I think he was against, off the top of my head, Scott Taylor or somebody like that. The only thing I can remember was him missing a spinning heel kick by about 12 yards. <laughs> it's funny how those things stay in your mind. But he is utterly appalling. Yes, listeners, he really did botch missing a charge. He just sort of did the crab walk into the corner and banged his knee against the buckle. And that finish, which is supposed to be a power slam, caught off the ropes... If, uh, caught from the top rope. If you've played Super WrestleMania for the Super Nintendo or the Genesis or the Mega Drive over here, you'll know that British Bulldog's finisher supposed to be the running power slam, but it's just the animation of a body slam followed by the immediate cover. That is what we got here. Yeah. He's taking his finish from six-year-old 16-bit video games, <laughs> and I don't think that's intentional, but he's appalling and uh, pity poor Edge here, who I'm still yet to be entirely convinced by in the ring, but boy, does he get a pass on this one soldiered with this just useless lump and yes their considerably large losses need to be cut whilst they still fit any pair of scissors cole brings out vinnie jones uh chris just quickly for the uninitiated who's vinnie jones he is a defensive midfielder who has never really gone above middling premier league level football but has a reputation of being a bit of a thug on the pitch and most famously known for the picture of him grabbing Gaza's dick at a throw-in. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I asked. I do know who Vinnie Jones is, but if anybody didn't, yes, there you go. That's the extent of it. And of course, he was in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, as I kind of made reference to earlier. I think that's why he's here. 
JR says he'll fight you at the drop of a hat. He's going to knock out Vince McMahon out later because us British mix it with anybody. We're going to sling your American people out of here. And then I love this. He just shouts at the end because Cole asked him one more question. He just shouts for no reason. It's going to be emotional. <laughs> That's it. I've just... yet to see Lockstock and two smoking barrels. But obviously we know that Vinnie Jones obviously left football to go to Hollywood and be an actor. If this is how he delivers lines, I don't see it lasting very long. <laughs> it's going to be emotional. And he's bizarre. <laughs> Hey, Bulldog's doing well today. Okay, we see Mero losing to Dwayne Gill thanks to Blue Meanie on Raw, and that will be it for his career. He's just filling out an obligation now, and he teams with Jackie to face Christian and Sable, or he will after Jackie attacks him. King now calls Sable fit, but he reckons that, that Mero thinks she belongs down in Soho. <laughs> I'm not sure who tipped him off read that reference, but never mind. Christian and Mero start out at a good pace, but he quickly tags in Jackie. She wants to fight Christian, but it's not on the rules. So it's Sable will be Mero again. And so it is after he gets debagged by Christian. Do you think he's leaving or something? We reset with the two men as Jackie refuses a tag. Big crossbody gets a two for Christian, and then Sable chases Jackie around the outside. Tim White calls them off and back in Mero with a Samoan drop. He gets crotched going up, though, and Christian gives him an inverted atomic drop and spinning heel kick. He follows up with a cracking reverse DDT. That looked great. And now it's Sable time. Kick to the balls, and then he has to take a sable bomb yet again. He walks off and is caught in the aisle by Christian, and in the ring, there's the TKO from Sable for the win. Uh, now you know what's coming with the big uh. Jacqueline attacks Tim White, but then she climb, but he climbs up with her on his shoulders. Sable then yanks off her top, and even though we're paying for it, we still get the pixelation. <laughs> Billy, could you, you know, put your disappointment to one side and talk about the match just for a second? Yes, the match itself. Let's, let's start there, shall we? Uh, again, it was very short, and they, I think they did quite well uh, with booking Mark Mero to look like a fool, with his pants being pulled down and him falling over. Everyone seemed to get into that. It was done quite well as well. And in a way, they did try to book the match where everyone's weaknesses were hidden. But... Again, it's a mixed tag. It's short. It wasn't going to be anything special. Everyone was just trying to sort of work the house style, weren't they, at the end of the day? It, it, again, it was just nothing really special. Nothing really stood out here at all. <laughs> nothing really stood out. Well, apart from... Oh, uh, Chris. <laughs> oh, dear, Rory. <laughs> well, I don't know whether Mero really has, you know, is done for this and is no longer with the Fed. But he is, gone. God, he, he, he is gone. Like I say, he's officially gone. He, he's he's proper gone. Not going to be back in a couple of months at the Rumble. Nope, done completely. Okay, because this was the ultimate in burying someone. Mm -hmm. He was made to look like an absolute fucking joke. Um, if he turns up in WCW or ECW, he is going to be having to do a lot of fucking work to rebuild his brand as i will use the term because he's been a fucking laughing stock for the past six months from johnny b bad coming in with a big fucking wad of money and a lot of hype when he came in as a wild man mero has crashed and burned spectacularly in this last few months and 
this was a fitting end to an awful, awful run for him in in recent months. But boobs. <laughs> That's becoming your calling card on here, Lacey. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about Mero because the match was just carny bullshit, really. I'm really going to miss Mero, but this has been on the cards for a very, very long time. Taking the Sable Bomb at SummerSlam, that was it, really. He was on a hiding to nothing after that. You don't go anywhere from that situation. And the fact he's been humiliated by Sable at every single turn, and here he gets his shorts pulled down by for crying out loud before taking yet another one and ball shots. Uh, he ain't leaving with dignity here. Um, apparently, he's not the most popular guy backstage. A lot of people still very angry about him being offered one of the first guaranteed contracts and a very lucrative one to boot. Uh, he just never, he was never there with the right people. I mean, Vince was obviously hiring him from the start. But I suppose if you go right the way back to his debut at WrestleMania, when Todd Pettigill introduced him as Mark Morrow, it's... <laughs> Not exactly auspicious beginnings. Yes, he had his IC title run for a month, but that was all just an excuse to get Helmsley over. It's a shame because he is talented. I can see why people think he isn't, but he is good in the ring. I don't think we can overlook that. He works well as a face. He works well as a heel. So I agree. He probably does need some cooling off now. I don't think he can really afford to turn up in any of the other two anytime in the immediate future because he's just so tainted. But hopefully somebody will take a chance on him maybe in the spring, early summer, because he's got the ability, but he probably needs a complete revamp and we need to forget about the last year in particular. Though it has to be said, that household is at least still getting their income. Because <laughs> uh, wifey's definitely going to be probably making more money than he was by now anyway. Every cloud, every cloud. Next up, IC title, Ken Shamrock defending against Steve Blackman. Big slam by Ken, but then a quick kick by Blackman for a snap cover attempt for a one. More sharp kicks in the corner, and he starts to lay in the strikes. A you fat bastard chant is directed at the boss man, here with Shamrock, and then Ken hits a power slam. Lovely suplex and a pin for two. Back over by the champ, and then some hard ones with Blackman laying on the apron. Kick to the face, and I think Shamrock gets working here all these days. A sign in the crowd reads, ultimate farting champion. Sue me, I like that. The Shamrock brings in another high knee. Cradled though by Blackman for a near fall, but it gets put down again very quickly. Long face lock now, but the two of them do at least work it. Blackman tries to fight out, but another running knee lift by Shamrock maintains the momentum. Back to the face lock for a while, but again Blackman scraps out. He starts to get some offense with a knack snap and a spine buster. He misses a spin kick though, and there's another fisherman suplex by Ken for two. Shamrock takes a breather, so Blackman nails Bossman with a baseball slide. But the big one retorts with a nightstick to the ankle and Ken slaps on the lock. So all Blackman can do is tap. Your thoughts, Chris Lacey? You know, when you see a match and go, these two together should be really fucking amazing. This didn't have it. I was, I was hoping, I think I'd built up what these two should do together so so high that i just don't think it was ever going to live up to expectation um you know don't get me wrong this is a good match this is you know probably you know one of the top one or two matches on this show but i just thought with the two styles that they have that it was going to be a brutal all-out fight and maybe it's because it was a uk pay-per-view and you know it's as i said a glorified house show 
that it was a little bit phoned in, but I feel these two, or expected these two, should I say, to have a much more physical, more violent encounter than what we got. What do you think, Billy? Oh, God. Uh, right. Well, actually, uh, like Chris, I was, uh, when I see this one flash up, I was, oh, okay. We're going to get a good match here. Unfortunately, you know, it wasn't it wasn't great. And I think what the problem more than anything was this is that crowd and myself just never really bought Steve Blackman as a serious threat to Shamrock's belt. Obviously, he's not particularly being booked brilliantly in the Fed uh, as of late. Uh, but it was just a shame that, you know, it, whatever they went out there and tried to do, it's just you couldn't really believe Blackman was going to beat Shamrock at any time for the belt. And it, it was just a, a little bit of a shame, really. <laughs> they just couldn't um, do what I expected them to be able to do. I take all your points, but I actually quite like this. Although that's probably because I was watching it from a slightly different angle. And that was to see whether Shamrock is getting working heel. And like I said in my play-by-play, I think he is. On our WWF show last month, both Eric and Dan said that he hasn't really shown much in the ring since turning. I would disagree with that. I think it actually suits him a bit. As we said a couple of months ago, you can't repackage him. He will always be Ken Shamrock, ultimate fighting champion. Here, he's using his UFC skills, a lot of punches, a lot of strikes, but he's using them at the right time. Now, there's no real fast flurries. He's not using them to try to pop the crowd. He's using them as offensive weapons. And when he mixes those in with his suplexes, then I think it works to his advantage. It makes him look a lot colder, a lot more calculating. And if you're going to have an ultimate fighting champion, somebody who is a bit of a celebrity, who they brought in as a celebrity, let's not forget, and you want him to be booed, then I think that's probably the right way to go about it. I hope they can keep that rolling. My main issue with this match, it was, it was it was really all about Shamrock. Blackman, who I think is fine, didn't really get to show a whole lot here. A couple of hope flurries and that was it. He was he might as well have been a plank of wood. Add your own comments about his own charisma, if you will. But he might as well have been one anyway in the ring, which was a bit of a shame. But I think Shamrock's got something with this heel run. And he's in the corporation now, so he's going to have people who can actually talk for him, which he really, really needs. And if he can just be that, equivalent ice man in the ring then he might just be might just be able to be salvaged but as long as he's the IC champion even if he is associated with Vince or not I don't think he ever is going to make it to the top level now which if you would ask them nearly two years ago they wouldn't have said somebody who is at the very top of his game now is The Rock he demands that Cole holds his apple that's not a euphemism out of all the opponents they could give him, today he's got that bony jabroni X-Pack. That's fine, though, because when the corporate smoke is cleared, what you going to do when the 24... 24- no. And that's the bottom line. To be the map, the best there is, you'll smell what the rock is cooking. See, that guy is on another level right now. And again, another promo you must just check out. Jarrett versus Triple H then is our next match. Again, we get off to a basic start with my old friend, the International. Helmsley puts on a ground headlock and the crowd are virtually silent. The Spinebuster is more like it, though, and gets the first near fall. JJ with a punch and Hunter falls to the outside. 
He gets his own hard strike on the outside, though. Top rope cross body. Ugh. But Hunter rolls through Ugh. for a two. Jarrett walks Triple H to the ropes and allows Deborah to pull at Helmsley's hair. Swinging neck breaker, but Helmsley kicks out. China stops Deborah doing it again, and now here's Jarrett with a sleeper. Hunter is, of course, up on the third arm drop, but it goes back on once more, but a size suplex buys him some more time. They're up at eight, and we have another slugfest. Running knee by Hunter gives him the advantage, as does yet another inverted atomic drop. Corner punches get the crowd back a bit, but Jarrett blocks the pedigree into a slingshot. Hunter, though, stops himself hitting the buckles and sends JJ outside. Deborah gets on the apron and slinks into the ring as the ref talks to China. She goes to slap him, but the ref stops her. Jarrett tries to sneak in with a chair, but China stops him too. Then Helmsley recovers and a pedigree gets the victory. Billy, Helmsley's first full-length match since the ladder match at SummerSlam, I believe. How do you think he looked here? He looked he looked fine. Uh, I'm not going to say, you know, you put in a, like a five-star performance or anything like that. You look like a world-class wrestler or anything. He, he, he looked fine. Um, what they did was perfectly acceptable. It wasn't anything that stood out as, oh, it's going to be match of the year or anything here or there. They, you know, they're working this, basically a supersized house show and... They just did a fine job. It wasn't anything special. It really wasn't. But then a lot of this card, nothing was really anything special, was it? Chris? It was, as a lot of this card, okay. It, as I said, it is house show fodder. It is none of them going above, you know, second gear. Yeah, they're not, they're not pushing the boat out. They're not putting a shift in. They are just getting through it. These two work fine together. It would be a perfectly reasonable match on TV. The fact that we have to pay for this, you expect a little bit better. But I suppose when you've got this many matches all thrown in, Everything only gets a little bit of time. It is only ever going to be this level. Yeah. Though I would have wished I was there for that because, you know, the DX sort of entrance would have been amazing to be in the arena for. I've, you know, that's that's one of those moments where you're just like, yeah, that's why you want to be there live. The match you don't want to be there for to watch on telly. I thought the match was okay, you know. Helmsley shaking off the ring rust. So Jarrett, somebody who's not going to run rings around him in the ring, literally or metaphorically, probably a sensible opponent. They can keep it at a very steady pace, which I think Helmsley needs. And I do think he's at his best in any way. That is Jarrett's default setting. It always has been. I think it always will be. He's a fine worker. You know, Jarrett, he's got something with this character. It's probably the first time since we saw Jeff Jarrett appear in mainstream wrestling at the end of 93 where I haven't cringed every time I hear his entrance music I mean don't piss me off isn't exactly Chaucer but it is something and I think teaming in with Deborah, who can get a lot of extra hate for him when Jarrett himself struggles to do that is another sensible pairing as well match was fine people wanted to see Helmsley win they came alive for the pedigree it's a pop worthy move again though during the match crowd sitting on their hands I say not that, as Billy Riley says, not that this was a five-star technical whiz-bang or anything even remotely close to it, but it shows crowds all over the world these days. They're almost conditioned to cheer big for the entrances, 
be ready for the finishing sequence. But what's that stuff in between? Oh, yeah, the wrestling. They're not particularly engaged for. And we need to watch that going forward, I think. Here's Austin with Cole. He keeps it simple, which is how we like it. Tonight, three people get their ass whipped, and if Vin steps up, he might just make it four. Everybody is in the wrong place at the wrong time tonight because he is in a bad mood. And that, ladies and gents, is all you need. Tag team titles, the Outlaws and their usual reaction, defending against Henry and D'Lo. I should say D'Lo Brown had a very amusing tour of London earlier, the week, earlier this weekend, which we got some funny footage from. And he starts out with Road Dog and gets the best of the early going. Dog, though, ducks a clothesline and gives us the shuck and jive punch and the crazy legs knee drop. Billy in, and he gives D'Lo a big gorilla press slam. D'Lo stalls once more before getting back in for the third time. He wants Billy, and then he tags out straight away. Good stuff. Billy calls for another press slam on Henry, but thankfully that one only exists in his mind. <laughs> he outsmarts him into a test of strength, but then gets caught on a bear hug, which goes on for a lifetime or two. The champs both come in, though, and a double drop kick gets him down. And the hip toss keeps him down. Double J's for legal man, I think, but he gets overpowered this time. D'Lo in with a leg drop, and the crowd lets him hear it. See, now they're coming alive a little bit. Big sit-out power bomb, and who sucks now? Henry in for a big leg drop of his own, and then a splash. Billy breaks up the count, and then drags him to the corner to tag himself in as Jesse is dead. Gunn takes care of both heels until he gets caught in a power slam by Henry. He recovers with a rocker dropper on D'Lo, and we have a double down. Then they both get to their feet, stand around a bit, and out of nowhere, Billy just hits a pile driver, which I think is his finisher now, for the completely out of the blue win at the second pay-per-view in a row. Chris, that wasn't exactly great shakes beforehand, but say much like at the triangle match they had at Survivor Series, this one fell to pieces at the end. Yeah, um, so the majority of it was decent. You know, it was passable, but it seemed that they forgot what they were meant to be doing for the finish, and they went, ah, oh, fuck, and then just, quick, that's our time, do something. And, you know, it, it leaves you that sort of slightly sour taste at the end of a match like that. Um, I love D'Lo. D'Lo is awesome, and that guy should be given as much time as he wants on all the time. Um, it, it, you know, it was decent, but we could do more D'Lo. All D'Lo, all the time. Billy? Yeah, it was a fairly decent match and a very energetic open. Um, apart from the finish, uh, which, like you guys have already pointed out, it was, you know, just they sort of seemed to forget where they were going with it all. Uh, and uh, like Chris was saying, you know, D'Lo was great. I, they did like a little thing beforehand where he was looking for the queen. That, that was that was tremendous stuff. Um, and yeah, it seemed... It really seemed to be uh, I quite had quite a bit of heat here as well. Where you know the crowd was definitely into D'Lo uh, chanting, "He was suck it, he sucks throughout the entire match." Um, it was just that, like I said, it was a bit of a shame that they uh, fucked up the finish. <laughs> I don't even think they had a finish planned. I'm not sure that Billy's finisher is meant to be a pile driver these days. Let's say just like at Survivor Series. He thought, okay, we might as well end it here as anyway because the agents aren't bothered for whatever reason, so that'll do it. And that was my abiding memory of the match, apart from the excellence of D'Lo, as you both rightly drawn attention to. He can talk and he can work, which is quite the rare commodity these days. 
that combination might not necessarily stand in a good stead, though. I hope I'm wrong, because there are a lot of places you can take this character. I want to get him away from Mark Henry as soon as possible. It's, Henry is just dragging him down. Add your own jokes, but I'm, Henry is just a vacuum, an absolute vacuum. I've read a couple of reports, some people thinking he's improved. I can't see it. Uh, he's well, got... he's improved from that shockingly level of shit that he was when he debuted in that match against the King when he turned up in that All-American Zinglet. Wait, but, you mean where he was wearing the Homer Simpson moo-moo, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he has got better from that, but yeah, he's still not good. Yeah, he is still not good at all. Um, but D'Lo, they're probably keeping D'Lo with him because they are still low to push him into even the upper mid-card at this point. D'Lo I'm talking about here still, that is. I hope something happens with him. He's very, very good. And that little to-camera piece he did where he's doing the American Tourist in London thing, fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. If only for the, uh, towards the end where he met, he won't thank me for saying this, a Chelsea fan who looked a lot like our own Pete Kimber. <laughs> if it wasn't for the blue scarf, I would have sworn it was him. Yeah, this match, not good, but nobody watches the Outlaws for good matches, which is just as well, but they are perennially over. And as we move into 99, that's really all you need to be. So then, WWF title, Rock is defending against X-Pac. Yes, that's X-Pac. For the second time in three weeks, incidentally. JR reminds us that both guys are still only 26, which is incredible when you think about it. And this is not the retirement home. Pack straight in with two big arm drag takeovers and then into the arm bar on the ground. We get a crisscross, you don't see that very often these days, and a leapfrog and a spinning clothesline and another arm drag arm bar. This is a good sequence for making Pack look like he deserves to be in there. Headlock now and a knockdown, three roundhouse kicks, and the Rock bails. So far, this is some very smart booking. Rock takes the mic and says, to hell with X-Pac and to hell with this match. The Rock is out of here. But no, he's not. There's Triple H and China stop him. Walkman hauls Rocky back into the ring. Big stomps in the corner, but he misses the Bronco hard, so Rock finally gets a foothold. Swinging neck breaker by Rock for two. We spell outside and Rock sends Pac into the table. He steals Chaos Water, which is quite amusing, but Pac slaps it out of his hand. Thumb to the eye, though, puts the champ back in charge. Chin lock in the ring as he soaks in the Rocky Sucks chance. He battles out, but gets put down again quickly. Big low blow with the ref distracted by Triple H. Pac, though, is out at two. Russian leg sweep. Ugh. Also for a two. Body slam, and now the corporate elbow. It hits, but incredibly, X-Pac kicks out. The Rock, though, only did a lackadaisical cover, so he protected that truly amazing move. Back to the chin lock once more. Rock needs to be careful of doing that too often. X-Pac, though, could build momentum after China low blows Rock when he goes for the Rock bottom. Big kicks in a splash get some close twos. Then Rock tries the flare pin, but no win for the him either. Whipped to the corner, though, and Hebner gets bumped. Power slam puts X-Pac down, and he goes for the belt. But Triple H is ahead of the game and has the European one, and that connects. X-Pac comes to, so does the ref. He reaches in for the cover. One, two, no. Now, though, he does get to ride the Bronco in the corner. Rock goes off to China, but Helmsley isn't having that. And then the bell goes. Yes, it's a DQ win for the champ. Oh, come on. He tries to cloak, but DX sort him out. Uh, Chris, I'll come to you first on this one. I wouldn't say they had me believing in this match, but I thought it was fairly cleverly booked. And that's the finish we get, though. Yay. 
See, I was enjoying this match. Um, and then they gave us probably one of the worst finishes of the year. This was just fucking pointless way of finishing this match. We, we saw some bad ones on Judgment Day, but this one is right up down there. And I'm just like, you you had a good match and you then pissed it away for no reason at all. Um, I feel sorry for X-Pac. I mean, he he was given a chance to, you know, so, you know, he is going for the title match, you know, he's the main event as such, you know, he's in the title picture. Um, but if this is all they're going to do, yes, it makes Rock look good because X-Pac will fly around for him. But I don't think it helps anyone in the long run if you're going to have matches with these finishers. We will talk about that wonderful finish again shortly. Billy, your thoughts on the match? I thought X-Pac... I thought he belonged in there. I'm going to say it. Yeah, I, I was, he was more than believable, uh, the spot that he was put in. Uh, this match was really good. Um, <laughs> it's probably one of the best matches we got of the night. Um, you could say, you know, it could have gone up to classic levels if they didn't go with the cheap DQ finish. But for some reason, they decided uh, to do the DQ finish, which is a bit strange, really. Um Considering who are they trying to, to protect here? Why are they protecting X-Pac? Um, he's clearly not a main event player yet. There's room there for improvement and there is time for him to move up to that next level. So why did they just not have the rock go over clean in some sort of uh, screwy way? I, I didn't quite understand why they decided to go that route. It doesn't have to be 100% clean, but a rock pinfall victory would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, the ref's distracted by Helmsley in China. Then the rock does get the belt, hits X-Pac with it, rock bottom onto it, three count. The rock gets a pinfall victory. X-Pac isn't hurt too much in the loss. Uh, he isn't somebody who, say, he isn't somebody who needs protecting at this point because you know, he's not going to go on a three-month main event run with the rock, which ends up with him winning the title of WrestleMania. <laughs> No, <laughs> we can all safely say that's not going to happen. No. <laughs> there are other people on the roster who might be in that position, but we'll see when we get there. But for what was really a house show title match, I thought X Pac would not have been my first choice, but he allayed my fears that he was going to be shown up even more than he was on the match on Raw a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was a mistake. But I didn't think that here. Now, it wasn't like Scott Casey being dropped in at Survivor Series '88. You can tell. I, you can. You can tell. I watched that last week, can't you? This was. Um, this was fine. This was absolutely fine. Xbox coming right out of the gate with offense, probably had some of the crowd thinking that yes, he isn't just going to be squashed in there. I mean, I think there were some people who thought this was going to be a two-minute job with the Rock winning completely clear with Xbox getting barely any offense. I just had that feeling in the back of my head too, but thankfully that didn't happen. He really did his job out there. He gave The Rock a hell of a match. Dwayne has got absolutely everything in spades. He fully deserves to be the champion. Uh, I'll go back to what I said on our WrestleMania show nine months ago now. I'm still concerned for him in the ring. I mean, I said it earlier. It is not the most important thing these days. Absolutely not. But he is over a line on chin locks. And outside of those two big moves, he doesn't really have a lot. I still think he struggles to call and lead matches, 
which if he is going to be the number one heel going going forward now, he's going to have to do a lot more. Now, he isn't always going to be in there with workers as good as X-Pac. How can he handle it when he's working with faces who aren't on his level? I think matches might well be his downfall, but he more than makes up for it in every, every other facet of professional wrestling. Yeah, A good match here. X-Pac, keep him at the IC slash European level for now. Maybe, maybe this showing will stick with the front office for a while. Now, you could maybe do this sort of match again on a B-level pay-per-view in the States, sort of coming out of Mania. I don't know how Hot Pack's going to be there. I'm not sure the Rocks are going to be the champion then, but we'll see. They gave the crowd a good match, did get them into it when nobody believed that Pack was actually going to win. And that's one of the strengths of pro wrestling, really. If you can make people believe something they don't believe, then that's half the job done. A worthy title match here, so well played to everybody involved. We will eventually get to our main events, but there's a bit of extracurricular or sort of pre-curricular stuff first. Shane is here to give us a few changes to that main event. Pat Patterson is our special guest timekeeper. Our special referee is not the big boss man, as originally mooted, but Gerald Briscoe. The biggest intro is, of course, save for the icon, the man with the master plan, Vince McMahon, who is our special guest commentator today. Uh, that's always a pleasure. Boss man is then brought out as the corporate enforcer. And here comes Vinnie Jones. Points to King for both A, mentioning that he used to play for Wimbledon, and B, that he is a nutter. <laughs> Jones wants to get it on with the boss man. Okay. But after a standoff, he does indeed, and he sends him right through the ropes. In a very funny moment, Briscoe comes in and gives him the red card. I really like that. <laughs> he then gets sent to the back as the Stooges all wave him off. We get Vince on commentary, and this didn't surprise me. I've never even seen a red card before. Hey, he doesn't know what a red card is and he doesn't drink tea. I've really gone off that Vince today. <laughs> so finally, the combatants come to the ring. Well, Mankind and Kane do. They start to fight before anybody else arrives. Soon though, the lights go down and here comes Taker. And very quick aside, his music is bloody fantastic too, isn't it? We do like it. Oh, yes. It's all it's, it's, it's old music. It is old, old music. But it's oh, it's fantastic! It's a superb mix, probably the best music other than Austin's, of course, in the entire Fed today. He and Kane team up, and Mankind gets choke slammed down and slung outside. But then the brothers get to rocking again. Kane gets hold over the top, and there's the glass smashing. And yes, it's a mighty pop for Austin, as if there was any doubts. He meets Taker on the ramp, and it's hard shots all the way. Vince quietly asks Bossman to stay close to him, which is a good touch. Taker goes after everybody but settles on Kane as Austin introduces Mankind to the table and guardrail. Duty-bound, Nick, you're duty-bound. It's Austin and Taker in the ring now, and then Stone Cold uses his vest to choke the dead man. Taker, though, hits the big clothesline of a leg drop, and that is worth a two. He then chokes Steve with the bottom rope, and Paul Bearer uses his shoe. Who uses a shoe? Up, though, and the Fez press means a cover attempt, but Briscoe's bad knee kicks in. Kane knocks down Austin while Taker and Mankind turn the clock back. In what I thought was a rather silly spot, Undertaker chokes Mankind with a cord, so Kane does the same to Undertaker, and Austin does the same to Kane. Whether it's a cord or a sleeper, that spot does not work, and it defies the laws of physics. Oh no, in pro wrestling, everybody, who ever heard of such a thing? Mankind hits everybody with the microphone. That's more like it. And back in, we pair off again. A light Austin chant, as again, I think the crowd are now just waiting for the finish, really. For now, though, we get the Undertaker rope walk, or we would if Kane didn't crotch him onto the top rope. Mankind and Austin team up for a double clothesline on Kane. 
but Mick doesn't get a handshake. He gets the fingers and a stunner attempt. He fights out though and puts on the claw, no Socko yet, until Taker breaks it up. Now here's Socko. Austin battles into a cover, but Briscoe doesn't even get down to the mat to count this time. A chair gets involved and Mankind hits Kane in the back with one, but then Taker just ends him with another, right in the head, unprotected. Oh. Austin then grabs the first chair and puts down Taker, but again, no count worthy of the name. Kane gets stunned in the ring, but Briscoe checks with the timekeeper. Those two are just gold, aren't they? Austin slugs him and then there's a chokeslam for him, though, and a chokeslam for Kane, too. No ref, of course. Hebner makes it down, but Mick breaks it up. Kane then gets up at two. Austin, though, with another stunner, and as the other two are on the outside, that will get him the oddly anticlimactic three. Afterwards, though, Briscoe hits Hebner, but Austin sees him off with another stunner. Now Vinnie Jones is back. He looks on as Austin stuns Bossman, and then Hebner, yes, Hebner, puts the boots and the fingers to him. Yes, Hebner. <laughs> I really wish he'd done that 13 months ago now. Just think about that for a second. Austin, Jones, and Hebner then all share a cold one or two. Stone Cold then gives the fans a few curtain calls before we go. Chris, your thoughts on this main event and the aftermath? It, again, was a fun match for a house show. Um, everyone got their shit in. You know, it was equally brutal as you'd want it to be with Foley doing the things that Foley does best. Um, the shenanigans of Patterson and Briscoe. Uh, can those two like have a sitcom, please? I'd, I'd watch that all the time. Um, Vince, again, still being a life and heel on the commentary. It served a purpose. Did it go anywhere? Does it mean anything in the grand scale of things? No, but if you were at that show and in that arena, you definitely left happy. And to be fair, as a viewer at home, the main event at least made it worth watching. Yeah, Billy, this one was really just about the stun of the three counts and the beer at the end, wasn't it? It was just a question of how we got there. Yeah, pretty much. You know, you had all the shenanigans at the beginning so you knew there was going to be shenanigans at the end and obviously there was you know the stuff with Vinnie Jones all seemed to work quite well you know it could have gone off it could have been a lot worse it could have been like Jay Leno at Road Wild <laughs> it wasn't that bad uh no it's just uh your usual typical WWE like main event brawl there was lots going on there was uh, a story that always kept uh you involved in the match and uh this was uh another generally good uh high point of this card of this show what do we think of hebner getting in a few at the end i, I thought it's quite funny so <laughs> boss man is now nothing but a comedy figure anyway so boss man has sold for vinnie jones and earl hebner in the space of an hour yeah it's not like many people are going to be watching this in the us anyway so yeah, it's not it's, really going to matter. <laughs> yeah, it's not one that, as I said, coming out of this, nothing of any note really is going to be sort of mentioned the next day. Which is just as well for Ray Trailer, I think. Match was at the acceptable side of there, in my opinion. Nobody in this match was really, really feeling it. All four 
and I take no real pleasure in saying that because to a certain degree, I like all of them. All four were going through the motions here, I thought. There were no really big spots other than that silly cord choking thing, which I didn't like, and that horrible chair shot to mankind. So even when everybody else is just you know, la-dee-dah walking it around, Mick still needs to take an unprotected chair shot to the friggin' skull. <laughs> just 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 so, just so we know that he knows that we're watching him you know yeah this was all about the finish and there wasn't much thought really put into the match luckily they had briscoe and patterson who were as hilarious as ever vince on commentary cheerleading get him man can't get him no not kane not kane just the perfect dick heel you want him to be his plan is foiled yet again I did find it a bit interesting, and again, this is not being shown in the States. It's not a really canonical show, but I was sure that Austin was going to go over Mankind here for whatever reason. Him pinning Kane, who I think has turned face in the last couple of weeks when he's not trying to set people on fire. I thought that was a rather odd choice. I'm not sure he's really expendable. Mankind, as much as I dislike saying it, might be. But again, it doesn't really matter. Austin had to pin, some, pin somebody here so he could win the match. And everybody got what they wanted to see. Mm. They were there to see Austin win and sing some beers at the end. Didn't really matter how they got there. They were quite quiet during the match other than a couple of light Austin chants. Because uh, Austin is now the, one of the biggest names in any form of entertainment by storming down to the ring, giving people the finger, kicking them in the stomach, dropping them on his neck, counting them down for the three count and choking a few cold ones. No. That's why he's beloved all over the world. That's why he's a huge fan. You know, huge fan of mine on the podcast. I speak for everybody on here too. And I'm not bored of it yet. Chris, do you think they're still they can keep us and keep doing this for years and years? I mean Well, uh, if if Hogan can so. if Hogan can just be a leg drop and pose for a decade, Austin doing a stunner and drinking a beer can work for just as long. Because that, sort of, um, that sort of thing can't get old, can it? I mean, that no, sort of thing is universal. That's the thing. As long as he's got a good heel to work against, and again, how how easy is it to take your boss? You know, he's got the ultimate get easy heel with, I hate my boss, I want to beat my boss up. Yeah, he it, it writes itself. It's super simple. And, you know, as you say, Stunner, jug beer, repeat. Pops everywhere. So why do more? Like in his promo earlier, why do more? If you can have the crowd eating out of your hand by doing those four or five things every time, then just keep it going. Right, Billy? Um, I, I sort of disagree with this. Um, but the only problem I, I see to it all with Austin, uh, yeah, it's worked really well now and for the next two years, it'll probably work really, really well. Maybe even three, four, five. Who knows? But the problem with Austin is he's on TV each and every week. And you know that's a lot of episodes of Raw, a lot of pay-per-views. To keep doing the same old, same old, people will turn off to it quicker than they did during the Hulk Hogan era because Hulk Hogan wasn't really on TV each and every week. I suppose you have a good point there, is that you don't have... You know, Hogan being on TV every single week because Hogan wouldn't be on Superstars. You'd only see Hogan at Saturday Night Main Event or 
and the, the big shows. Yeah, the occasional pay-per-view, and sometimes he wouldn't even be defending the title. So I do think there is a shelf life to this uh, Austin character. I, my one concern, I mean, I'm not tired of him at all, but I think a lot of that is to do because Vince McMahon is the ultimate perfect foil for him. Austin can't feud with Vince forever, can he? No. <laughs> as, as perfect as it is, yes, I hate my boss and I love seeing this guy get one over on him every Monday night and every four Sundays. It's fantastic. It's utterly fantastic. But maybe it, I just hope it doesn't become too easy for them. You know? I'm not bored of Austin. I'm sure as I'm not bored of Vince either. Uh, will Austin need to, say, temper his character slightly when this feud with Vince is eventually done, if it ever is? Chris? Um, the thing is, it depends on... Obviously, with what they've got at the minute, obviously it's Austin versus the boss, and the boss could be Vince. You could take Vince out and, you know, someone else comes in as a boss, you know, a, a manager role, something. There's always that authority role that he can go against. But the thing is, looking at someone like The Rock, with how good he is so early, I think that level of smarmy git would be the perfect foil for an Austin. Um, you know, Taker, you could turn him satanic and he could then be, you know, oh, he's evil, we need to take him down. With Austin, you just need a good heel to put him against. And there's enough in the in there at the moment that are good enough and have the potential to be even better that you could quite easily get another two, three years out of just the people that are there with Austin, let alone, say, if someone from WCW or ECW comes available that you can then put in with them as well. Two just more quick points on that. One, I don't like the fact he's feuding with Undertaker now. I hope that is a bit of a placeholder before Austin gets re-elevated back to the title picture. I mean, when he was going for the belt against Rock the day after Survivor Series, I mean, even by Austin's standards, the crowd pop when it looked like he was about to win the belt there was astronomical. Now Vince probably had dollar signs flashing in his eyes thinking, Austin Rock, that could well be my WrestleMania main event. Will it be? Only time will tell. And secondly, just to counter Billy's point a little bit, I don't think Austin can really get dull or start dogging it in the ring because he doesn't really do a whole lot anyway. <laughs> Him dogging it, he's still going to be punch, 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 Tez press, mod hole stomping, stunner, and we're out. <laughs> That's him now, and he's trying, and it's still fantastic to watch every week. But we shall see if you're correct, Mr. 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 Billy, sir. And on that thought, your thoughts on the Capital Carnage pay-per-view and a score rating out of 10. Uh, it was, <laughs> I think we kept saying this throughout. It was uh, nothing but a house show. Okay, there is plenty of better ways to spend two hours and 50 minutes. Um, this really wasn't as bad as No Way Out uh, earlier on in the year. So, score out of 10, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to give it a four. Christopher. Again, it is a glorified house show. You know, it would definitely been if I was there, 
this would have probably got a seven or an eight just because of like oh the reactions to everything the entrances and ev the atmosphere probably in the arena was buzzing but as a sit at home and watch as i said on the couch it doesn't really live up to it and it's not great i can only really go i was i was gonna go a three but actually sort of going through the reviews and stuff it wasn't that awful it was just you know it was just a bit phoned in i'll give it a four but you have to listen to the vince promo you most certainly do uh, last year, I caught a bit of flack when I only awarded one night only four out of ten, despite having four fine matches. The Helmsley Dude Love opener was very good. Owen Vader was a blast. Brett Taker was their best ever match. And the main event was the usual fine, very, very fine Michael's Bulldog ending. But of course, it was soured by the final five, ten minutes, which brought my mark crashing down to a four. On the whole, that was still a much better show than this one. And if you go back and listen to what I've been talking about for the last hour and 20 minutes, I haven't had a whole lot of praise for it. But I'm actually going to go slightly higher this time. So I'm going to go you know, only just though, a 4.5. Don't go out of your way to seek this one out. You don't even really need to see any individual matches. The final two were fine. But if you want to see somebody who you will not see in the title picture for a while, giving a good account of himself then it's worth the watch. And the main event was the usual fun with the right finish. Other than that, you're not missing anything. But the fact it clearly was just the house show and it didn't feel as important as One Night Only did, I'm prepared to cut it a little more slack for that. Again, 4.5. If you did not see this one, you know, save yourself 2 hours and 45 minutes and just listen back to this show twice to make up for it. <laughs> as I'm sure you're doing already now. And that brings us to an end of this short sharp sweep offering chris lacy thank you for joining me you're more than welcome uh be back for ecw and uh, end of year reviews indeed so and thank you too billy oh no thank you rory thank you chris uh pleasure as always cheers for stepping in at such short notice billy anything you'd like to tell the great populace about where they can find you yeah if you, if you want to follow me on the twitter i'm at billy underscore j83 that's about it really <laughs> All the uh, all the thunder reports you could ever hope for, right? Eh? Exactly. Lots of thunder talk on the Twitter. <laughs> Chris, when you're not watching thunder, which is all the time, <laughs> you do lots of other things, which you're going to tell the people about. Yes. So obviously, you know, if you want my musings on just random shit, follow fight Lacey five 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 six six six, where I do occasionally put random photos of my playing of Red Dead Two and going, "Oh, how pretty this is." Um, but you don't want that. What you do want is a free weekly playlist of music. Normally brought just by myself, but most recently, lots and lots of guest host shows, um, which is a show and tell things, uh, which you can find on iTunes and Podbeam and all those other wonderful places by searching show and tell tunes. Um, if you were listening to this early with Patreon, because you should be, that's what the good kids do you will know that on Christmas Day, there's a very special show and tell tunes coming out with our illustrious leader, Rory, and our alternative Christmas songs. 
Wow, that no, was that one's no going on Whamageddon. That's going on, yeah. on Christmas Day. Wow. Yeah, so, no Whamageddon, no Slade. So in oh. reality, in reality, when I am burning the sprouts, people up and down, up and down this this great great land and other great lands will be hearing some of my alternative Christmas selections. I like that trade off. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there's that. Obviously, end of year means end of year album reviews. So two part on. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day of the top 20 albums of the year. And uh, yeah, show and tell tunes, get on it. Free playlist every week. Free music, you may find something that you now like. Your new favourite band or your new favourite song could be seconds away. If you didn't get the name, everybody, that's Show and Tell with Tunes, and that's Chris's music podcast, just in case you missed that. <laughs> should you, should, Chris, you can plug it again if you want. I'm not sure they heard you in Tanganiki. <laughs> it's fine. I'll pimp it on every other show that I'm on this one. You've definitely perfected that art. But we are the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Wrestling20YRS. I'm in charge of that one. The boy Lacey is in charge of the Facebook account. Just search us on there. Nice and easy to find. You can also find me in various other places these days doing the good work of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. You can find me at bigelow34.proboards.com and the auspices of our friends at Place to Be Nation. Also on the Our Vantage Point Facebook page, I'm there under my real name. Shout out to the Our Vantage Point boys. Great, great friends of this show also. We have many shows coming up for you this month if you're already listening on Patreon and you're still waiting for those. Volume 1. WCW, Starcade, which as we tape this, I'm watching tomorrow. And by the pauses, you can tell that I'm really looking forward to it. If anybody could come up with something else for me to do tomorrow so I don't need to do it, you're quite welcome. But duty calls and all that. Volume 3, You Two Good Gents on ECW. Volume 4 is, of course, the award show, which we will be recording at the end of the month. Always a good time, that one. A lot of fun, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. So we hope you can join us for that one. And I should just say, again, for all your WWF news and your TV reports and your review of the Rock Bottom pay-per-view and all sorts of other tidbits and discussion, then let your podcast player roll right in to Volume 2 Part 2, which I'm sure you have all now downloaded anyway. There you go. Five volumes for you this month. And I'll say this again on the big show, Volume 4. Thank you, everybody who has listened to just one show this year, whether you've been with us since the start, whether this is your first one, Every single listener, we very much appreciate it. And if you do want to join us on Patreon, Chris, just to finish up and drop us $5 on there to say thank you, they get some extra bonus content, do they not? They do. Uh, this month is a Show and Tell Tunes crossover where me and the boy Eric go back 34 years to the 1984 wrestling album. And if you are listening to this on Patreon, Christmas Day, not only do you get the wonderful musings of me and Rory, but I'm going to chuck up at some point, probably on Christmas Eve and then take down on Boxing Day. I'm putting the wrestling album up there for all of our Patreons. Even if it's just the $1 lot, you can have a Christmas present from me. <laughs> oh, you're too kind, Chris. <laughs> the wrestling album. I do not own that one, I must say so, but I will be... Is it a Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, that one going up? Yeah, I'm going to put it up at some point on Christmas Eve and then probably take it down at some point on Boxing Day. Okie doke. Um, just while I'm waiting for the big man and the reindeer to arrive, I'm sure I'll be downloading that one. 
But of course, I've got to try to get to sleep if I want him to come. You know, I can't say I'm listening to, you know, Don Morocco's theme or whatever. Who would it have been in 85? I'll take, you know, if it was well, Jesus, it's, Jesus uh, Christ Superstar, so that's not on there. Yeah, no. Um, what we got? We've got the uh, US, oh, Mike Rotunda and uh, US Express, Mike Rotunda and Thingy's version of uh, Real, Real American, because Amer- yeah. that's what they had at that point. Yep. The awfully boring uh hulk hogan theme in contrast and uh just there's one of captain lou and giving us the history of music (laughs) which is one for everyone to enjoy oh yes (laughs) that's captain lou finger in every pie managed 500 tag team champions and knows the history of music as well yes (laughs) a real patreon bonus there for you yes um depending on whenever you're listening to this everybody uh very merry christmas very happy new year See us in 2019 or 1999 if you are as tied to Time Machine Mode as we are. Enjoy all the other shows we've got for you this month. And I'll just roll into WWF Volume 2, Part 2. We'll see you around. I'm sure that many of you are wondering what Mr. McMahon thinks of Great Britain and thinks of Her Majesty's loyal subjects. And oddly enough, I have an opinion on that subject. Firstly, let's talk about tea time. Told you, spot of tea. Tea time. What a pile of pious crap. (laughs) What? You English have convinced yourselves. Is that chant again? What are you calling yourselves? <laughs> you English have convinced yourselves that your nation is the greatest nation on earth. You've convinced yourselves that your nation is the most dignified, civilized nation on earth. Well, let me tell you, the rest of the world does not agree with that. As a matter of fact, history will prove that the British are the most barbaric, vile, swarmy sloths to ever walk the face of the earth. This is what I wanted, JR, a history lesson. This is great. He learned all this at Oxford yesterday. However, I can understand how you would want to hang on to your ancient history when you used to be somebody. I can understand how you want to hang on to your little customs of tea time. But I hate to be the one to break the news to you, but the British Empire crumbled long ago. Oh wait, with the exception, with the exception of course, of that treasure, the Falkland Islands, which you fought so hard to keep. <laughs> the Falkland Islands. You see, there's no doubt in my mind that each and every one of you here in this arena and every one of you at home watching on home box office wishes you were not British. Because deep down, in your little black hearts, 
Every single one of you wishes you were American. You're not, and I am. America will do as it's always done to Great Britain. America will take what it wants and when it wants it from Great Britain. <laughs> and whenever America is finished taking from Great Britain, there will be something left because we Americans are not greedy people. However, whatever is left of Great Britain, unquestionably, will be gobbled up by the French and the Germans. <laughs> what a speech! And you might ask, well, Mr. McMahon, you're a visionary. Please tell us, please tell us what Great Britain will be in the future. I'll tell you now. The future of Great Britain will simply be a cesspool of decay, a cesspool of decadence and debauchery.